0: Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, we are going to be in Acts chapter 5 again, starting in verse 17. And the title of my sermon this morning is, I Just Want to Quit. I Just Want to Quit. Can anybody uh, uh, relate to that? I Just Want to Quit sometimes? <laughs> I, I definitely can. And, you know, I've found that in the life of every true believer, there's, there's uh, so much blessing. There's so much joy, fulfillment, and reward when we follow the Lord. But... No matter who you are, everyone who loves Jesus at some point is going to enter into a season or seasons where you get tired, you get weary, and and you might even get disillusioned about following Jesus. And in those times, you might be tempted to think, man, wouldn't it be easier if I just quit, if I just kind of threw in the towel and walked away? And maybe that's where you're at right now this morning. And as I've said before, some of you may be here this morning and say, that's not where I'm at. I don't know really what you're talking about. Well, just give it time. (laughs) In time, you will. Be sure you bookmark this message and come back to it when your time comes, because everyone enters into times when we want to just quit. And I'm excited about today's passage, because as we continue moving through the book of Acts, we're going to see how... A group of ordinary, spirit-filled Christ followers come face-to-face with adversity, and yet they resist the temptation of quitting. And for the past several weeks, we've seen how Satan has been attacking the church. It's, It's important to understand that Satan hates, hates the true church for one main reason, and that is because we remind him of Jesus. And we remind him that 2,000 years ago, when Jesus came back from the dead, Jesus totally humiliated him and crushed his head and reigns now forevermore. He took away the kingdom of this world from Satan and he conquered him and Satan hates that. And he is driven today, back then and today, he is driven to try to stamp out and destroy the church. Even though Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 18, that the gates of hell will not prevail against his bride. We will not be destroyed. And because of the Holy Spirit, the church is resilient. The church is resilient. We will not be defeated. Although we might get knocked down, the true church always gets back up. And you know what this, who this reminds me of? A guy named Rocky Balboa. Yeah, I came to preach this morning. How many of you guys have never seen Rocky? Any of the, okay, the younger generation. Now listen, okay. I'm not, I don't encourage you ever watch a movie that I talk about up here. I don't, everybody has different levels of whatever. So, but Rocky Balboa is about an uneducated kind-hearted small club fighter who gets the chance of a lifetime when the heavyweight undefeated champion of the world, Apollo Creed, Creed, invites him and gives him the opportunity to fight him for the world championship on New Year's Day in Philadelphia. And everybody knows that Rocky has no chance. He is an underdog of underdogs. He has zero chance of defeating Creed. But you know what, once he climbs into the ring, Rocky does two things that no one ever has done to Creed. Number one, in round one, he knocks him to the canvas and gets him to an eight count. Uh, Secondly, he goes the distance with Creed. No one had ever gone 15 rounds with with Creed before. I can see all you guys that know what I'm talking about. You're like, amen. Mm, mm. Come on, (laughs) preach it. Mm." (laughs) No one had ever gone 15 rounds. And you know, all through the fight, you know, the music comes on and they start going back and forth and just knocking each other's heads off. And then at the end of round 14, Apollo uh, delivers a series of blows and combinations and he sends Rocky crashing to the canvas. And at that point, everybody thinks that the fight's over. Even Mick says, stay down, stay down. He's like, don't even get up. And uh, But somehow... Rocky finds the strength to stand to his feet again and to finish the fight. And my point here is that is a picture of what the church is like. We may get knocked down. We will get beat up. But understand that we will find strength. There is a strength that will always get us up. We will never be out. We will finish The fight, And, you know, if you've gotten up out of the spectator seat and you've climbed into the ring and you are a true disciple of Jesus Christ, you need to remember that your opponent, Satan, he hates you. Uh, He doesn't just want to knock you down. He wants to knock you out. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to share why the first century church didn't get knocked out. They got knocked down but they didn't got, get knocked out. They, they never quit. They kept moving forward. They kept fighting. And you know, if, if we will apply the very things that we're going to learn in this passage this morning, we may get knocked down from time to time, but you will not quit. You will persevere to the end. And, and up to this point in the book of Acts, there's been two attacks by Satan. The first one came when Peter and John were arrested for healing a blind, uh, not a blind, but a, a lame beggar, and they were preaching the gospel. God delivered them from them. And then last week, we saw how Satan filled Ananias and Sapphira's heart to lie against the Holy Spirit, and God put them to death because of their hypocrisy. And so in chapter 5, which where we are this morning, in verses 11 through 16, It basically says three things happened after the death of Ananias and Sapphira. Number one is that great fear came upon the church. The church was purified. It it, it experienced a sobering purification that that the church needed to, to protect it. Secondly, many signs and wonders continued to be seen among the people as they were performed by the hands of the apostles. And number three, and this one's very exciting... Because the church was purified, more believers came to know the Lord. That is so exciting, and, and uh, miracles kept uh, being performed throughout the church. The point I want to make here is that the church, when it gets knocked down, it does get back up, and if we will keep, if we will not quit, we will move forward and prosper. So the church is once again prospering as it was before, and then we come to our passage this morning in verse 17 that begins with, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. Now notice that they are filled with jealousy. Um, This shouldn't surprise us because in John 15, Verse 20, Jesus, went on the, on the night of his arrest, he's talking to his disciples. He's warning them about things to come. He says this, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. And as most of us know, if you, if you decide to follow Jesus, he promises eternal life, but he also promises that there will be times that you are hated and that you are persecuted by those who oppose God. And, you know, it's interesting that these are the same leaders, these are the very same leaders who had been jealous of Jesus when he had walked on the face of the earth. They were jealous because of his popularity among the people. And so what did they do? They arrested him and they put him to death. And now they are jealous of the disciples because, because... They see Jesus living in in them. And they're also seeing that the crowds are influenced by uh, them. And out of jealousy, they take the disciples and throw them into prison. Now, I want to talk about the prison. What, What do you think the conditions were like in that prison? I don't think that there was cable TV or Internet or AC or weight rooms, and I don't think any of the dis- anyone was showing up at the door going, "Hey, we want to uh, sign a book deal with you," and so you can tell everyone what happened to you in the temple courts. Right? The prisons back then were horrendous. Uh, poor, uh, poor circulation. Uh, their rest, they didn't have restrooms there. It, it would have been a horrible place to be. And if if you were thrown in there, how would you respond? today if you were taken from this service because you uh, came to worship Jesus and you were thrown into that prison, how would well if you were thrown into our prisons today, how would you respond? How do you think they responded? Do you think that they were fearful that they were downcast that they were complaining that they were licking their wounds and and feeling sorry for themselves and seeing themselves as victims? or number two, they were worshiping and praising God together. They were definitely worshiping, And praising God together, they and as we're going to see at the end of this passage, that they were grateful and honored that they could suffer for the name of Christ. And I'm going to take a little uh, uh, little side trail here and just remind everyone that you know what the primary one of the primary purposes of the church is—it's to be together, to gather together. Uh, Ephesians four says that we are to gather together to equip the saints, for ministry and to bring the church to maturity. We gather together to be equipped and to grow into maturity. And the New, the New Testament church did four things, and we've talked about this, but I just want to bring it, uh, remind us. There's four things the church did. It was found in uh, Acts chapter 2. Number one, they received the Word of God together. They gathered, number two, together. They prayed together. And they broke bread together. 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 All right, you're getting it. And and now we're seeing that they are suffering together. And, you know, we've got to be careful because um, since the pandemic has hit, I've heard uh, people say, and some leaders say, you know, we need to... Get ready to be an, be online churches, because it looks like that's the direction that we are moving. And this morning, if you have gathered us via live stream, I am so glad that you are with us, that you are able to uh, participate with us this morning. But I want to say something. I want to be make sure you hear what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. Uh, we want to have a good online ministry for the purpose of people who cannot truly gather with us. Uh, this is not to be a substitute for people who can come together and gather. Uh, there, are, there are situations where we are unable to uh, be here, but we don't want it to be every, ever, ever be like, well, you know, I don't feel like gathering this morning. Let's just flip on the, the, the live stream. If you can choose to be here and you're able to be here, we need to come together and gather as the church. Uh, because we this is where we can care for one another in person and we can build one another up and what we're seeing this morning as the is that the apostles are together they were ministering together and now they're suffering together and I'm I guarantee you they were in those cells encouraging one another together and the apostles remind us of the importance of gathering together We let us not forget, let us not forget that we need each other. So they're in prison and they are enduring persecution. In verse 19, it says, But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prisons, the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Now, notice that God, once again, is coming to the aid of his people, and he chooses to do it. He could have done it in any way he wanted to, but this time he chooses to send an angel. And I don't want to miss God's humor here. There's something that's very kind of ironic here, because if you know anything about the Sadducees, they did not believe in angels. They did not believe that angels existed. So I believe that God is, in his uh, humor and irony, is sending an angel to do the very thing that the Sadducees are saying do not exist. And so God sends an angel to open the doors and to free them. Now, what does the angel tell them to do? Notice he doesn't say, run for your lives and hide. And he also doesn't say, go to the temple and gather the people around you and let them know how you've been mistreated by these apostate leaders. That's not what the angel tells them to do. He tells them to go and speak to all, uh, to all the people. What? The words of this life. I'm going to read that again. He says, go and speak all the words of this life. What does that mean? What do you think the words of this life were? Jesus, correct? What do you think it was? What do you think? <laughs> this is too, too obvious, right? The gospel, the word, he they they are in the in there not talking about how can we expand this building and make it bigger. They are talking about what? The gospel. They are they are preaching the gospel. God is we need to understand that God is keeping the main thing, the main thing, and he's directing the church to stay focused and to stay centered on one thing, and that is the gospel. Because believing the gospel, truly believing the gospel, is what will transform lives. The truth that Jesus came for the sick. Jesus came to die For those who needed a Savior to have their sins paid for. Jesus was buried. He rose again in power. And he's coming back for those who are eagerly waiting for him. That is the gospel. That is the truth. So do not quit. That should be an encouragement to you to not quit. Jesus is going to come back for us. He is coming back for the church. And the first Century Church knew this; they believed this; they were founded on this, and so their message was the gospel, and that's exactly what they were doing when when the when the angel sent them back into the temple to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what the first century Church did, and we will be wise to do the same. Now, in verse twenty one, it says, "And when they heard this, that is, when the apostles heard the message of the angel." They entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Notice, immediate obedience. They do exactly what they were told. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. So it's it's morning time. The high priest is... They're going to get together. They're going to decide what they're going to do with these disciples. And they have no idea that God has been at work at night and what he has done. He, and they are about to be uh, humiliated by God. Verse 22 says, But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the door. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, this is clearly another miracle of God. There are guards standing either beside the door or in front of them. And yet the angel was able to open the doors, get the disciples past them without the guards ever knowing it. There, this is, I believe God is trying to once again show his disciples. And he's trying to remind us that there is nothing impossible for God to do. God can save in any way that He wants to because He has the power to save. And, you know, there's going to come a time in the lives of these disciples where He's not going to come to their aid, to their physical aid, except for maybe the Apostle John. They are all going to die martyrs' deaths. But right now, He is showing them that He has the power to save, and He comes to their rescue. In verse 24, it says, Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And it, it, to me, as I was reading that, it appears to me that God is kind of like toying with his enemies. Um, I love what Psalm 37 says about God's enemies. It says, The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked. The Lord laughs at the wicked. Now, the wicked are those who refuse, after hearing the truth about God, refuse to come to Him. And, and they actually are opposed to Him. And God's kind of like not intimidated at all by them. So it says that he, the Lord laughs at the wicked for He sees that His day is coming. verse 25, it says, And some came and told them, Look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Okay, once again, Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, is pointing out that the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, feared man they were afraid of being stoned by men so they had to make sure that they didn't do anything against what men wanted to do and this is what keeps this is why the proverb says that the fear of man is a snare because it traps you and keeps you from doing what you should do so they're more concerned again about the people's uh, perspective of, of them than they are about how god sees them And verse 27 says, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And get this, it says, And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Now, aren't they the ones that crucified Jesus? They are the ones that are guilty for crucifying Jesus. And yet they are unwilling to even admit the very obvious thing. This is, this is really a, a sad and a very uh, terrifying thing. Not for the disciples, but for the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees. Because, why? They had just seen another miracle by the disciples being set free from prison they had just seen another miracle, and yet they didn't put two and two together. They didn't go, man, God must be for these guys. They, they're, just, they're so caught up by their desires to be accepted by men that they are blinded. And this isn't the first time, is it? Remember, I, I said again that they were the ones that crucified Jesus. So they saw and heard about the miracles that Jesus had performed, and they put him to death. But because their hearts are hardened, they have become blinded to the obvious. Because they have hardened hearts, they no longer see that which is clear before them. And if, you know, I think what we need to learn from this part of the the passage is that we are no different from them. If we resist the Holy Spirit, if, if, if we harden our hearts against the Holy Spirit, this will be true of us, that we will no longer see what is clear. So let this be a warning warning to us uh, not to harden our hearts against God lest we also are blinded by the obvious. Verse 29 says, But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. Now notice how I want to Back up just a second. Notice how Peter's responding to him. He's responding with the gospel. He says, he points out their sin and he says, you killed him by hanging him on a tree. Verse 31, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Once again, they are they are preaching the gospel. And in verse 33 it says when they heard this they were enraged and wanted to kill them. And this is just a reminder that the gospel is offensive. The gospel is an offensive message. It's good news, but it's offensive at first because you have to come to a place where you realize, yes, I am guilty. I need a Savior. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees are not willing to do that. Verse 34 says, But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And basically what he does when the the disciples are out of the room, he reminds them of a couple of Jewish uprisings where Uh, that had come to nothing once the leader of the rebellion, once the leader of that rebellion had been removed. So he reminds them of that, and in verse 38 he says, So, in the present case I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And once again, this is another example of God coming to the rescue of his people. This time, though, it's through the counsel of someone who doesn't believe in Jesus. It's through the counsel of someone who has rejected the Messiahship of Jesus. Again, proving that God is a God who is sovereign over all. And when they had Called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And then the most um, uh, amazing part of this passage to me comes in verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer Dishonor for the name. Can you imagine the the leaders? They're like, "All right, stop talking." No, they go back into the temple and do exactly what they told them not to. All right, we're going to beat you now. They beat them. They're like, "Woohoo! Thank you, thank you, thank you! Praise Jesus!" And they run out. <laughs> I mean, what? That, how frustrating uh, that must have been to the the leaders. Um, but that's that's what uh, this doesn't make sense to me. When I, when I, uh, humanly it's unnatural, it's insane. They're rejoicing, uh, because they were counted worthy not to avoid suffering. That's most of us, Lord, thank you for, you know, keeping me safe. Thank you for keeping me from any type of suffering. They're not rejoicing for that. They're rejoicing because they were found worthy to suffer honor for the name of Jesus. And listen, they were not a bunch of, of men who had a martyr's complex, They were simply obeying God. They did what he called them to do. And as they did, trials and persecutions came upon them and they rejoiced. Why do you think they rejoiced? I believe that they rejoiced because they realized we are the real deal. Jesus is living in me. That sometimes can be a question of doubt. Have you ever had that question? Am I the real deal? And I think that what happened was they're like, okay, they are doing to us what they did to our Savior. This is proof that our Savior is living in us. So if you suffer, listen to what Jesus says in Matthew five ten. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. They understood and grasped the reality That it is an honor, it is an honor, not only to bear the name of Jesus, but to be rejected by this world for his name's sake. And the bruises and the scars that they received that day were marks of honor that will be rewarded in eternity. So this morning, as I began talking, I asked the question, or I said, you might be in that place where you want to quit. Um, you're in a place that you don't want to be, but you know that you're there. The reason you're there is because you've been obedient to God. And you know that God has you there. It's not because of something that you did, necessarily, that was wrong. You were obeying God, and He has you there. Maybe you're in a uh, a marriage that is that's difficult right now, and you're experiencing more conflict than you signed up for. It's not like uh, what Disney presents as uh, uh, Cinderella and happy endings. There's conflict in your marriage. Or maybe you're in an environment where you are the only Christ follower. And you're the only one that uh, is there to bear witness of Christ to your coworkers or your teammates or your classmates. Or maybe um, things are tight You're on a tight budget because you have chosen to follow the Lord in a certain area. Um, You could have gotten a better job, but all you would be doing is working, working, working. You would not have time for maybe your family or you wouldn't have time to serve the Lord in other ways. And And things are tight right now because you have chosen to follow the Lord. Or one other thing, maybe you've lost a friendship or a relationship has become rocky because you took a stance for the Lord. You decided to follow follow Jesus, and it has brought you to a point where that relationship or that friendship is no more. And you're thinking to yourself, uh, I just want to quit. It would be easier to quit. Just like, you know, the apostles were in a, a difficult place, but they were able to rejoice and count it all joy. And maybe you're thinking this morning, I'm not where they are. I think it might be easier. What if I were just to change jobs? Maybe I should change churches, change spouses. Maybe I could change majors again. Or maybe, this might be it, maybe you need to repent and change your mind. Maybe you need to have a change of mind and have the same mindset as the disciples, the mind of Christ. Why why didn't the disciples quit? That is the thing that we need to understand because if we can truly get to why they didn't quit, then whatever situation you find yourself in today or tomorrow or or next year, and you're wanting to quit, if you can find the reason they didn't quit then you won't quit either. Here's the reason. The reason that they didn't quit is because Jesus didn't quit. It's so simple. Jesus didn't quit. Now, I'm going to explain what I mean by that. The writer of Hebrews uh, was is writing to weary believers in the book of Hebrews. And in chapter 12, the Jews are tempted to quit. They're tempted to walk away from from the faith. And here's what the writer of Hebrews says. Therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And here's the key, looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus Not looking inside of us and going, I I can do this. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself that you may not grow weary Or faint hearted. The reason, you know, that they didn't quit, and the reason that you're not gonna quit, the reason that I'm not gonna quit is because I'm going to and you're going to and we're going to together remember that Jesus didn't quit. And you know, the apostles were eyewitnesses to what happened to Jesus. They saw him arrested, they saw him suffer, they saw him mocked, they saw him beaten beyond the recognition of being a a human. They saw how he hung on a cross, and that he endured to the end until it was finished. And they that's what they were preaching, that's what they were centered on, the gospel. And so instead of listen, I want to encourage you, instead of praising the enemy, instead of praising your feelings and trials and circumstances, and what I mean by that is you're talking more about what's wrong than who can change things. You're focused on on the things of this world, and I'm not saying we, we walk around like nothing's going on. We speak about them. We lay them at the feet of Jesus, knowing that He is the one that can make a difference. He is the one that can crush them. He is the one that can set us free, and every time I do that, every single time I do that, I get up off the canvas, and I move Forward by the power of Christ who dwells within me. And and I know that that's how you guys are, why you're still here, is to be reminded of what Christ did for us. Peter says this For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, because Christ also suffered. For you, not for himself, he suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And then here's the gospel. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. In a nutshell, they endured, not because they were awesome, Not because they were amazing, but because they knew the one who is. And they believed the gospel, and it empowered them to endure. So this morning, if you're weary, if you're discouraged, if you're thinking about quitting, let me encourage you, just look up and remember Jesus. Remember all that he endured. Remember all that he endured to bring about our salvation. And remember that he didn't quit until it was finished. Remember, Let's remember Jesus together and keep moving forward. Amen? Amen. I want to pray um, a prayer that's found in Psalm 61, verses 1 through 8. This might be a prayer that you would want to go to in times when you're, you're just wanting to quit. After I do this, Terry is going to come up and we're going to have communion. So let's pray together. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So I will ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day and day after day. Amen.